I know that uh, many of you are avid readers. My daughter is uh, my daughter is in fourth grade, and she uh, incredible reader reads at speeds uh, of which I do not comprehend or understand. Uh, I'm more of a simple reader. I like simple books and simple thoughts generally. And um, one of the books that uh, really had an impact on me uh, was this book right here. Some of you guys have read this. Uh, the If Book, this is, uh, if you've ever been in a small group, uh, every small group uh, ever under the creation of the world has used this book. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, basically the whole book is comprised of questions that begin with if, okay? And one of the best questions ever, and I want to ask it now of all of you, if you could have uh, dinner with anyone in history, dead or alive, except Jesus, uh, who would you have dinner with? So I'd love to hear some of the answers. If you could have dinner with anyone in history, dead or alive, not Jesus, uh, who would you have dinner with? Someone said? Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Okay. Does that have uh, like a selfish motive or you're just curious about his thoughts on the world? Okay. A little selfish, right? Any other thoughts here? What's, what'd you say? Nelson Mandela. That's deep. That's deep. I appreciate that. It has some weight to it. Okay. What's that? Elvis Presley. Okay, interesting. Donald Trump. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, Kurt Cobain. R.I.P. R.I.P. Right. Now, um, <clears throat> I uh, I wish I wish that I could have another meal uh, with my grandfather. And um, it's weird, right? That you realize some things that you could have asked some of your uh, relatives who have passed away, you realize after, they, after they're gone, like things that you wish you would have asked them. My grandfather had a profound impact on my life and I wish I could have sat down and, and asked him more intentional questions. And um, I feel that same way, honestly, about, about Joshua. Um, every, every time we study a character in the scripture, there's like this friendship that grows between, I hope you... Uh, but certainly I know me and the character. And, and Joshua is one of those dudes I wish I could have dinner with. I'm not sure what we would eat. Um, Joshua's, uh, Pastor Jared, certainly in kosher understanding, correct? Yeah, so there would be certain dietary limitations that Joshua would be regulated that I am certainly not regulated by. Um, but when, we're, when we were to sit down and have dinner, I would wonder things like, um, so hey, Joshua, it's good to see you. And um, I was wondering, when you were marching around Jericho, on the day when all of the walls fell down, fell down, like the sixth rotation, what was going on inside of you, right? Like to, like to hear about the anticipation of whether or not the walls would fall. And I'm sure he fully believed they would, but it would just be interesting to hear. I'd be really interested to hear his perspective on what the voice of God sounds like, right? So, hey, Joshua, tell me what it's like to hear God's voice. Is it more like Charlton Heston? Is it, you know, have a little bit of Heath Ledger in it? Uh, God forbid. Is it, you know, like, like, like what's, the, what's the roots of God's voice, you know? That's right. Morgan Freeman. Yes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> then, uh, then as we got a little bit past desserts, because this isn't a, like, during dinner question, uh, I, would, I would ask, okay, so you, you saw 31 kings Um, be killed or conquered, what was the most horrific moment of fear that you ever experienced? Like, I would ask these questions. Well, what's happened is we have studied this character, Joshua, and 
and he's getting ready to die. And it, it feels weird to even say that. Again, it, it's like there's almost a mourning inside of me as I communicate that because we have grown so close. Um, I was blessed to be with my grandfather when he passed away. And so I heard from my grandfather uh, a commissioning that some of you have heard about. I know that many of you won't get that opportunity, but tonight, uh, through the character of Joshua, uh, tonight you're going to be commissioned by an old man. You're going to be challenged by an old man who will die at 110 next week. Uh, But tonight we see his last words to the nation of Israel. And just just to bring you all in, Here's what he's going to speak after. Last week, we saw the testimony that God gave about himself to the nation of Israel, God making all of these statements. God told the nation of Israel, I took, I gave, I sent, I plagued, I brought, I did, I destroyed, I would not, and finally, I delivered. And last week in Lot Family on Sunday, I just listened to story after story after story of people who God has delivered, who he's rescued. And it's incredible to be here with so many who have been rescued by the love of God. And so tonight, after all of those statements from the Lord, we're gonna see Joshua's commissioning, challenging uh, the, the words, the eloquent words that he shares with the nation of Israel. So open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. We're gonna start in verse 14, turn in your phones, whatever kind of source you have, and if not, uh, the word will be on the screen. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, two more weeks, this week and next week, and we'll Finish up our journey through Joshua. Here we go. Now, therefore, verse 14, fear the Lord, says Joshua, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, how many of you are in food service, have been in food service as a waiter? How many of you guys, by raise of hand, Waited tables, you're a server. Okay, many of you, and I think some of you are ashamed to admit it because I was expecting more. Anyway, my first job ever was Pondegrosa Steakhouse. Okay, any fans here of Pondegrosa? Yeah. Mm. And this is a true story still to this day. Anytime I eat there, give it 45 minutes and it's a bathroom break every single time. But it's still awesome somehow, okay? Yes, there are some gross things about Pondegrosa, but uh, there are some delightful things like chicken Monterey. Have you had it? It's a chicken breast with Catalina dressing on it. It's like nectar from the Lord. Also is the, the, the nacho cheese sauce there, right? It's like QT cheese sauce. Have you guys had that? But like with an extra touch of pixie dust or something. It's awesome. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I was a server, okay? And so you guys know in food service, when you serve, you come to the table, hey, can I get you anything to drink, you know? And, and what would you like to eat? And, you know, I'd love to help you out with that. Oh, here, let me take that, uh, that plate away. Let me clean things up. I really enjoyed it. Like, I enjoyed the interaction. I, I enjoyed, you can imagine me as a waiter, okay? I was like the hyperactive waiter, right? I'm just like pacing around, like coming up to the table, getting way too close for comfort, right? Oh, is, you know, are you done with that drink, you know? Uh, this is a true story, but they, uh, I, I would sing the birthday song. You guys know, like, when you go to some restaurants that have, like, a, a birthday song that is, like, their deal. Well, Ponderosa didn't have one, so I created one. And what I did is I just sang happy birthday at the top of my lungs, like reckless abandonment, like no holds bar. And so I would be at home sometimes and people would call, hey, would you mind coming in and singing the birthday song? Like someone's requested you to sing off tune and all, but just, just bellowing it out, right? But when you're serving, there's like, this, there's like this attentiveness to detail. 
there's a certain level of um, interest. And you guys know, like, when, whenever you have a server that is disinterested, the whole table talks about it the whole meal. I can't believe, like, can you believe this guy or this, you know, like, what are they, what are they even doing, right? Like, so, so we know what, what good service looks like. Uh, the word service is going to find its way 13 times between verses 14 and 28. We're going to see it 13 times tonight. And thankfully to our uh, unbelievable Pastor Jared, he's helped me understand what the word in the Hebrew means. Uh, there's this level of like laboring and serving in, in almost response to something. It's, it's like working hard. There's even like a, an effort piece to the word. And so as we, as we start to like dive into this word over and over and over, I want you to see as Joshua begins, uh, therefore fear the Lord and serve him in, what's the next word? Come on, sincerity. Now I'm drawn to this word, I latch on to this word because all of us knows, uh, know what sincerity means. You've, co- you've commented before on relationships. You've said things like, man, that person is so sincere, right? Uh, so it started, me, uh, it started me like wondering a little bit on what a disingenuine or insincere service would look like. And so I wanna propose a few things to you. Insincere serving of the Lord, number one, is not life-giving and produces no joy. Some of you find yourselves there right now. You're quote-unquote serving the Lord, but it's not producing anything inside of you. It feels rote. It feels mechanical. Like you feel dead doing it. That would be a characteristic trait of insincere serving. Uh, Secondly, insincere serving also does this. It, It longs for recognition and accolade. Like you're the kind of person, potentially, if you struggle with this, that will never, ever serve if people aren't watching. Like you have to be on display. Oh, did you guys see that? Did you, you know, you're like, you're the person that's like cleaning up the table and and like big brushes, right? To make sure that you catch the attention of others, right? Uh, You're the person that will only, you know, paint when when others can comment on your, your beautiful painting job and on and on and on. Insincere serving is more focused on the person than the object of the service. Does that make sense? Some of you find yourselves there right now. Number three, insincere serving also is a script lived by an actor. Uh, There's nothing real at all about it. It's a playwright that an actor is merely following, dictated by shoulds and have-tos, and I better, and all of the domination of rules and regulations. You just become a a puppet. And some of you know what this feels like because you're existing in the exhaustion of it right now. Every single day is one big masquerade. If I can serve enough to get people to think that I actually love the Lord, then it will be a win. I just want people to think that I love him. To what end? To what end, I ask? And some of you who are, again, battling with this right now, you're so unbelievably exhausted because you forget who you are in whatever context you're in. You get around these people and you're like, hold on, who, who was I supposed to be around these people? Who did I say that I am? And then you get around this and then you're like, get confused. You, you're, 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 you're a past cross, right? Insincere serving produces that. It's a script, a masquerade lived by an actor. And finally, insincere serving can dominate someone's entire life. Now, Listen. God has brought you here tonight, and I'm thankful for that. Every single one of you are sitting in that nice 
black chair that leans back a little bit, right? Um, purchased just for you, right? And you're here tonight. What if? What if some of you tonight would come out of the fog? What if some of you tonight would wake up? Uh, what if some of you tonight, God in his grace, would grab and he would shake you and spare you from 20 more years of insincere, false serving of a God that you've created in your own mind? What if tonight is the crossroads for some of you? What if tonight will be the night that changes everything? I've been praying in expectation all day that it would be for you. But I just want you to right now to picture this. An old grandpa-like man who's getting ready to die that looks out into the nation of Israel and says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness and consistency. Not just folks that start strong, but folks that start and finish. And then he says at the end of verse 14, I love this, put away the lowercase plural gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now he's pointing to a couple different things. Uh, he's pointing to something that we saw last week, that Abraham came from a pagan land and a pagan family and a pagan land. Now, uh, they were serving, we, we read, um, lowercase polytheistic many gods. And so what, uh, what our, our dear friend Joshua is saying is, listen, like, put away those gods. Now, maybe you're not uh, in ancient Mesopotamia, but uh, every single person in this room uh, has a dad, whether you know them well or not, whether you ever met them or not. It's interesting, right, that one day you wake up and you realize that some of the same sins that you saw your father struggle with or heard your father struggle with are now in you. Uh, some of you grew up in abusive homes where your dad said that it was discipline, but the bruises said it was more. Some of you heard things, names that your mom was called. Uh, some of you behind closed doors heard your parents argue and heard the slap against the skin of your mother. And all of a sudden, like the heaviness of the sins of our fathers, um, it begins to weigh on us. It, it makes us fear, are we going to be just like him Here's what the freedom of Christ does, not just in ancient Israel, but to every single one of us. We have in the freedom of Christ the opportunity to put away the gods of our fathers, to watch Christ break the chains of generational sin and begin a brand new creation and generation in his son. And so imagine the old grandpa, almost dead Joshua, looking in the eyes of the nation of Israel and saying, put away the gods of your fathers. Put them away. You saw what it got them. Absolutely nothing. And you saw what it got your dad. What the pursuit of the dollar? Another womanizing relationship? Another opportunity to, to find their identity in their work? and not caring for you, we in the freedom of Christ can put those sins of our dads away. And then he says, very poignantly in verse 15, 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, and some of you would be like, well, who would it be evil after all the things that they've seen to serve the Lord? We're going to find out tonight in you. Okay? He says the famous line, choose this day whom you will serve. This day. Whether the gods, lowercase plural, your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods, lowercase plural, of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And here we go. You ready for this? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, some of you have seen this on, you know, someone's mantle. You've seen this etched in the new, like, you know, like really cool uh, design over, you know, someone's arched hallway. So you guys maybe even have this tat or bumper sticker, right? Like, as for me and my house, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. But the depths of this verse, the lineage of this verse, uh, what I'm going to contend to you is it's one of the top times in the entire Old Testament where this happens right here. Joshua draws the line in the sand. And we hate lines. Uh, because we struggle with commitment culturally. It all begins in middle school relationships, right? Okay? The average relationship lasting, you know, 13 and a half hours, right? Um, uh, some of you um, would say, man, I have massive commitment issues. I don't think you're alone. Okay, some of you are so anti-committed that you wouldn't even admit to it because you've already forgotten the question, okay? Um, the question is, why do we struggle with commitment? We hate the line. Why? Because we want outs. We want exemptions. We fear being called a hypocrite so much that we want to just exist in the gray. And the fact that we can just exist in the gray in just about everything in our life, then we'll be saved from all kinds of ridicule. It's better just to tell both sides. It's better just to have the line go right in between us and we got one foot in the world and one foot following the Lord, which is where many of you find yourselves tonight. Listen, I don't want to fully commit to the Lord because if I fully commit to the Lord, then I'm going to be held to the standard of the Lord. And so it's much easier just to follow the Lord what's convenient, live in the world when it's convenient, and be on both sides of the line. And so you, you just hear statements like, choose this day whom you will serve, and many of you get vomitous because you hate commitment. When someone calls you to task, holds you accountable, actually like calls you out, we generally run from that. Why? Because we want outs. We want exemptions. We want to be able to say, I never said that I was per perfect. I never said I was fully devoted to the Lord. The problem with all that kind of thinking is there is no gray. There is no gray. You and I may believe it at times. We may believe the lie that we can exist on both sides, but you serve only one. That's it. Now, that one may be some polytheistic view of lowercase plural gods but you can't serve both God and the world. And so for everyone here tonight, as we're getting into this text, that believes you can exist in the gray, I just want you right now to come out of the fog. It is black and white, even though you despise it. It is black and white. He draws the line in the sand. And then at the end of this text, again, I love it, picturing the grandpa, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you know, and I'm picturing like him smiling and the, you know, the little kids, you know, singing It's a Small World After All and holding hands and, you know, everyone's having a great time. 
I don't think this statement is cute at all. I don't think it's meant to be cute. I think it's a man who's lived faithfully. It's not a man who's wishing. It's not a man who's throwing a quarter into the fountain. It's a man who's saying, I have made a decision in my family that we're going to serve the Lord, and that's what's happening. One of the struggles of being in ministry and having kids is, uh, well, everything. Um, PKs, they call them, pastor's kids, uh, have a tough go. People will come up to me at times and be like, uh, did you know that uh, tonight in the ML Kids that Dawson was talking when, when you know, the teacher was talking? And I'm like, well, what, like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, he's Dawson and my son. Like, do you know me, right? Be- but what they're assuming is that, like, because they're a pastor's kid, like, they'll never, ever talk when teachers are talking, you know? I'm actually like, that's the exact opposite. Again, have you met me, right? Like, talking when the teacher was talking was my forte, you know? Like, that was my spiritual gift growing up, okay? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. The reason I'm sharing that is this. We have made a decision, my wife and I, that our house will serve the Lord. But my kids will be saved by God alone and not by me. What it does not mean is that every night in my house, I take the Bible and I say, all right, Dawson, you ready to go to bed? And I just go, all right, son, boom, boom, boom. In fact, could you put this as your pillow, right? And then I go to Maddox and I'm like, I know you're a little younger, but here you can take a swift uppercut from the, from the sword of the Lord. And then I go into Avery, you know, who's, and I, oh, honey, I know you're a, a girl and a little bit more gentle. So here, let me, can you just like rough, ruffle this around your cheek a little bit? You know, like, no, right? Our, our house, yes, has made a decision. We've chosen to follow the Lord. But the awesome thing that my kids, and I know Pastor Jared's kids and Brandon's kids, they're all, they're all growing up in the freedom of Christ. My kids aren't learning legalism. I'll tell you that right now. They're not learning, oh, you better, when you walk in here, you better shape up because you need to put on the show that the daddy and all of our family has it together. That's what I grew up in. Listen, if they're talking while the teacher's talking, yeah, like we we may need to discuss that a little bit, but I'm not gonna say, hey, listen, shape up when we're around the church people because the exact thing that we're embracing here is be right who you are, right where you are. No one needs to be a part of the masquerade here, my kids included. So I just want you to understand, when dads, moms, whoever make the choice, listen, we will choose to follow the Lord. As for me and my house, it doesn't mean that just because my kids are going up in it, they will be saved. But we're making intentional decisions to show our kids the power of the gospel, the freedom of Christ. And then verse 16 is awesome. Then the people answered, here we go, their intellectual awesome answer Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, they say intuitively, verse 17. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, going through now the testimony of God, and who did those great signs in our sight and presented us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. I absolutely love this text. So today I get home. And I always shower on a Wednesday uh, mid-afternoon. I shower multiple times a day. Sorry, that's just a little something about me. Anywho, uh, my kids get home from school, and then they always FaceTime me. And today, uh, they FaceTime me, and Heidi said, hey, Avery has something to tell you today. I'm like, oh, delightful. This will be awesome. 
And uh, she says, Daddy, um, I just want you to know that uh, there was a boy in my school today that flicked a worm and it went down my shirt, okay? Now, in that moment, there's a lot of things happening inside of me, right? But the biggest of which is I know exactly what this young man was doing, okay? It wasn't about the worm. Homeboy was flirting with my daughter. Like some of you dudes know, oh, oh, fancy that, look, here's a worm, boop, you know, and it's like, ha-ha, joke, funny. You know, listen, do you remember the first time that you, that you flirted? Do you remember what it felt like? Okay, for the most of us, it happened with eye contact. Okay, like, do you remember the first time you actually, like, you met eyes with someone of the opposite gender and there was something more than gross that was going, right? Because for a while, you're like, girls are gross. That's where my boys are at right now. Girls are nasty. I'm like, that's going to change, right? Like, it's just going to change. But do you remember the first time you, like, caught eyes and you're like, whoa, that was weird, right? And you're like, and then you kind of, like, look back, right? <laughs> Still looking. Gotcha. What's up? You know, I'm... Like, flirting is this weird thing. And so I told Avery, I'm like, uh, hey, hey, honey, uh, here's what I want you to do. So tomorrow at school, very graciously, I'd like you to ask that young man for his phone number, okay? Because um, daddy's going to give him a call tomorrow, okay? <laughs> and so she said, daddy, seriously? I'm like, yes, honey, it'll be great, right? Just want to encourage him, right? right? Because I know how dangerous flirting is. I'm obsessed with the fact the nation of Israel responds with these three words. They say, far be it. You see, what they're not saying is, we'd rather flirt with forsaking. No, instead they say, get us as far away from forsaking as possible. This is a massive issue for us. Let me explain. It's two different things to be tempted by sin and to flirt with sin. Two different things. Temptation is all around us. Oh my goodness. If you have a beating heart, everywhere you look, even in this room, there's temptation left and right. It's one thing to be tempted. It's a whole other thing to start flirting with forsaking the Lord. And the flirtation happens when the desire grows inside of your heart and starts to ponder on, what if I indulged? And then the what if turns into, oh, I'm indulging. And then the, oh, I'm indulging turns into, oh, let me indulge some more. You guys know, some of your relationships started with flirting, the good ones and the bad ones. And then some of them went on to more and more and more and more. I love the nation of Israel saying, far be it. I mean, it's not even on the scope. Oh, we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted to forsake the Lord, but but get that far, far away. We don't want to flirt with that mentality. And I love the fact that Paul mentions something exactly like it in Romans 13. Get ready for this. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let me ask it this way. Are you flirting with forsaking the Lord? You're masking it and the thought of it in, well, I'm just kind of, you know, I just, I just want to experiment. I just want you to know what you're experimenting with. Uh, the scripture says that you and I in Christ were bought with a price. Uh, so it's not that you're just experimenting with some sort of a child's play activity. You're experimenting with something that Christ bought with a price himself. You're experimenting with sonship 
and being an heir to the kingdom of God. So the flirting with forsaking, maybe we can embrace the far be it mentality. Therefore, they say at the end of verse 18, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. Now they say we also, because they're aligning now with grandpa Joshua. We also, remember, as for me and my house, Joshua says, so now they say we also will do that. Well, uh, Joshua has an interesting conversation to have with them in verse 19. Try this on for size. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive uh, your transgressions or your sins. That doesn't seem encouraging, right? Again, you're like picturing grandpa sitting over, you know, with his cane, getting ready to bless everybody. And instead he, instead he says, you're not able to serve the Lord. Good luck with that. Your, your, your transgressions are not going to be forgiven. Now, thankfully, he continues. And he continues with a tremendous word, if. Look at verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Now, a couple things to note from this very particular text. Listen, first of all, the scripture says that he's a holy God, that he's a jealous God. Uh, The jealous aspect of the character of God means that he has no rival. There is no rival. And so whether, whether you find yourself placing yourself in the rival category against God, let's just all be on the same page. You may try to rival with the Lord in creating your own kingdom around all of your specialness, but the greatness of God is he's a jealous God and there is no rival. He's a holy God. Now, what Joshua is not doing is he doesn't mean these things in terms of you can never be forgiven and you really can't serve the Lord. What he's saying is you need to count the cost. What he's saying is this call means something. It's significant. Count the cost. This is serious. When was the last time you counted the cost versus just counting the reward? We're really good at counting the reward. Okay? Have you ever gone to Dave and Buster's? My kids are obsessed with Dave and Buster's right now, and I understand why. Okay? Okay? Uh, we go, and what happens is they get tremendously caught up in acquiring points because they love the fact that they can take those points and cash in in the end. But never once, never once have any of my kids, as we're buying the, like, you know, negative three-cent basketball, right? Never once have they said, Daddy, how much did we spend to win that? Never once. They're never like... Whoa, whoa, we spent 50 bucks to win that that probably cost 10 cents on Amazon? They've never computed that. There's no counting the cost. It's sweet, let's buy more junk. You know, like that's what they're thinking. Right. Like kids at Dave and Buster's. I feel like that's exactly where we find ourselves. Counting the reward, rarely if ever counting the cost. The problem is Jesus was very clear on counting the cost. Here's what he said. Next slide. In Luke chapter 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Does everyone, just for clarity's sake, see the word cannot there? Does everyone see that? So listen, you can think that there's a gray option, but Jesus makes it very clear. Unless there's a denial of yourself, listen, you're not his disciple. 
Some of you have believed the lie that you can exist on this side of the line and that that still is following Jesus. Stop believing the lie of American Christianity. It's possible that you don't believe in the Lord at all, that you believe in yourself or some idea of God that you've created. He says, you cannot be my disciple. He goes on, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, right? You map it out. Any, any person who's making some sort of modern-day architecture has a blueprint, and then that blueprint goes to bid, and then the bid says whether or not we can afford it. Verse 29, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What Joshua is telling the nation of Israel is, you better count the cost. Listen, you have a a massive inheritance, but serving the Lord, oh, it's your joy to serve him, but you you better have a clear understanding of what that means. You bend the knee in humble submission to the sovereign king of the universe. It's not you pointing at God. It's God allowing you to serve him. Count the cost. So some of you tonight need to wake up you're celebrating your get out of hell free card instead of celebrating what it is that God has called you to do. And so then in response, their second pointed response, the people in verse 21 said to Joshua, no, and we picture this in unison, a powerful chorus, but we will serve the Lord twice now. Real quick, um, you guys know I've been in ministry a long time, okay? I started preaching very, very young. My biggest frustration in ministry by far is in myself and in you at times or whatever the crowd or audience may be. And we come to these moments where even how we started today, where like in my heart, I'm picturing that I could just say Jesus is risen and then people would just start bouncing off the walls. Hey, the tomb is empty. And like all of a sudden, everyone just like runs, runs around giving, you know, a celebration hug. Just like, we, just like we would if the Cardinals won the World Series. We're more excited in an expression standpoint around things that are menial than the resurrection of Christ. So my biggest frustration at times is I like have these images in my mind, in myself and in others. And then we come to these points where it's just like, what in the world are we doing? Because part of me says, why does Joshua like need like all of this affirmation? Are you sure? Are you really sure? Listen, he's not going to forgive if. Well, I, I, I relate to him. Because Joshua has all of the history of all the Israelites scrolling through his mind. Wait, you said back here you were going to be faithful. Nope, not so much. Uh, your, your fathers before you said that they were going to follow. But what happened to them in the wilderness? When they entered, not good, right? Like, and on and on. He's scrolling through the lack of obedience one of my biggest frustrations in ministry, again, both in myself and in the people. I long for something more, but I see why he continues to need affirmation. Are you sure? Is this, are these just words? Are you just excited because there's a crowd? Then Joshua said to the people, this is incredible. You are witnesses, look at this, against yourselves. (laughs) You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, affirming, yep, we are witnesses. 
Do you understand what they're saying? Joshua's like, you all heard each other. You all heard each other say, we're going to serve the Lord. So you're one another's witnesses. And then they affirm it. Yep, we are witnesses. Now let me explain this a little bit. Uh, Maybe you'll understand it in our terms. Communal accountability is a massive part of our response to the Lord. Uh, First of all, baptism is one of those forms. Anytime that someone is baptized, it's a public communal source of joy and accountability because that person is saying, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. You guys understand? And so then there's this this developing accountability that happens. I got baptized. I want to serve the Lord. So church, let's grow together. Now again, what we believe about baptism, nothing, nothing powerful in the water. It's coming out of our water heater. Okay, it's not... Water from the Jordan, even, even if it was, that wouldn't make a difference, okay? The Jordan River's kind of nasty, quite honestly. But, but listen, there, there's no power in the water. The power is in the person of Christ. The Lord's Supper. Communion. A meal for believers. Is a public declaration. A public communal accountability. A public communal, like shouting it from the mountaintops. I will serve the Lord. When we come to the table every time and pull off a piece of the bread representing the broken body of Christ and dip it in the cup representing the shed blood of Jesus, we are saying, I will serve the Lord. Discipleship. I know some of you are like, what? I don't understand, Matthias. You guys are always like, you guys always be talking about discipleship. Yeah, because Jesus did. That's why. Because when Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, we think that means something. Anytime someone signs up to be a disciple, to follow Christ, to disciple others, anytime there's an intentional relationship, it's a public declaration, I desire to serve the Lord. So now maybe you can understand why Joshua says, you're your own witnesses. We have those same opportunities. Again, many of you, I don't want any communal accountability. I'd rather exist in the gray. I don't want anyone ever to call me out on my sin. I've not even wanted to get baptized because I don't want anyone to hold me to a higher standard. What are we doing? We're fearing man more than God. That's what we're doing. Interested in man's attention more than the Lord. And so Joshua, old grandpa, about ready to die, is coming down in a massive word of encouragement to this church. And then he says this in verse 23, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and look at this and incline your what? Come on, your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, if you're like me, I had this understanding growing up that Old Testament was a mental bodily exercise and following God. What I mean is this. You engage God with your mind, and then therefore you engage God in your works, and that's Old Testament obedience. Uh, I problema, for the bilingual, this is incline your heart. Joshua is commissioning Israel in the exact same thing that Jesus will do in Matthew 22. When asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your Heart, mind, soul, and strength, incline your hearts. So for some of you that engage a relationship with God only with your mind, wake up. 
Some of you can only engage with God if it makes scientific sense, if it makes logical sense, if, if all of it is you know, just some intellectual exercise. That's not, prime, that's not the, the only aspect of our relationship with God. Others of you still doing it through works. Here, God, look. Here, God, see. This is all that I've done for you, Lord. We're good, right? High fives all around? No. Mind, soul, and strength, and all of our heart. It's like this full devotion that the psalmist summarized in Psalm 119. Check this out. Unbelievable text. Incline my heart, the psalmist prays, to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Incline my heart. All of me, God. Not just the mental exercise of, yes, I must follow you. But here, have the depths of my being. And so listen, can you picture old man Joshua looking out at this nation that he loves and beckoning them to incline their heart? And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God We will serve Joshua in case you're hard of hearing and didn't hear us the first several times. But then they say something else. And his voice, we will obey. Now, when I got to this point in the scripture, um, all of a sudden, it was like 95 exclamation points. Because there are so many voices that are vying for your attention. There's so many voices in your life that have become a massive distraction. I mean, let alone, let alone the voices of your close friends who mean well and have good intentions and have become for some of you the biggest distraction against Christ. Think of the amount of voices. How in the world then do we distinguish God's voice from all of this noise? How do we distinguish God's voice from the noise of the culture? You just take the constant barrage of social media and the noise there within. How do we hear the truth of God through all of that junk? It's a tough question. The biggest thing right now that I believe is killing the church, at least attempting to, is the voice that says someone else will do it. So just in case you're wondering, uh, friends, Matthias uh, has grown throughout the years. We started with six folks in a basement and obviously we're not there anymore. The biggest attempt on our life as a church is the thought that someone else will do it. Someone else will disciple them. Someone else will step up. Someone else will take them a meal. Someone else will care for them. Someone else will sacrifice. Someone else will say hi to that new person. Someone else will and someone else and someone else. It's a voice that is trying to murder us. Why? What if, what if all of a sudden all of us just said, I'm not interested in what someone else will or will not do. God, I just want to obey you. So what if the church got so interested in hearing the voice of God that they were able to negate whatever anyone else was doing or not doing? Do you see the freedom? Then we wouldn't see someone and instantly think, well, I'm sure someone else will take advantage of that opportunity. We would just say, God, would would you have me do that? Would you have me disciple them? Would, would you have me give my resources? Would you have me support that, uh, that missionary? And on and on and on. But I'll guarantee you this. If you think you can hear the voice of God apart from God's word, it's time to come out of the fog. Time after time, people come to me. Mark, I just want to hear God's voice. Are you reading the word where his voice is recorded? No, I haven't read in like a year. 
I don't know what to tell you. Are you waiting for the airplane in the sky? He's already given you his voice. He's given it to you. And yes, there there may be times where God's voice through his Holy Spirit speaks something directly and specifically to you. But my friends, I can't imagine something at times that would be more specific than the words that are recorded right here. I'm just asking tonight, do you have the heart of the Israelites that say, we just want to obey you, God. That's our interest. There's a lot of voices vying for your attention. Some of you, it's time to wake up. Bless you. So, Joshua made a covenant with the people, verse 25, that day. And he put in place statutes and rules for them at this historic location, Shechem. In Shechem, this place that Jacob had built a memorial at, this place that Abraham had been called at, this place that Joshua had been at in chapter 8. In verse 26, Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, some sort of addition here we can see it as to the things that have already been recorded for the nation of Israel. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Now, let me explain what's going on. Some of you are married. Some of you are going to get married. And there's going to be a day when you share in vows together, right? And uh, I've done over 100 weddings now, okay, in my uh, pastoral uh, career, for lack of a better term. And uh, inevitably, we get to the, the sharing of the vows. And, and so we get to this point, and what I've realized, and I, I led our whole marriage retreat this past year on this topic, that most times people choose vows that are poetic, that are going to, like, get Grandma Mildred to shed a tear on the front row, Oh, and so-and-so, and how about the Care Bears, and this and that, right? It's like, it's all kind of like, that's right, Care Bears was in there, right? It's like, it's all kinds of flowery, poetic language. What I realized in my own marriage is I couldn't even tell you what my vows were. Because some of you are like, well, why would Joshua, like, take the time as he's dying to, like, enact this covenant with a stone of remembrance? You want to know why? Because people forget. And he wants this stone to be a memorial. There's been many in Joshua. So that every single time these people come by, they can remember what they said. Just like on the altar is this chance to remember what you said. Hold on, you said that we were going to pursue Christ in in that way. What happened to your vow? So they enact it with a rhythm of remembrance. In verse 27, and Joshua said to all the people, behold... This stone shall be a witness, look at this, interesting terminology, against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. In other words, like Ecclesiastes says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. Maybe there's been a time where you've made a commitment to the Lord. And you're realizing right now that you did not take that vow or that commitment seriously at all. It was words to make yourself feel better about eternity. You wanted to get out a hell free card. You hadn't counted the cost at all, just the reward. And some of you, even from the words of Grandpa Joshua now, are realizing something deep within you. And so in verse 28, this is crazy. Just imagine this. This man that led all of these people across the river, that led all of these people in 31 
battles that like just battle after battle, conquering after conquering, he commissions them and challenges them and now he sends them. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Can you, can you get that picture in your mind? This is one of the most poignant moments in the entire Old Testament where this happens right here. Next slide. Joshua draws the line in the sand. Some of you, you don't know it yet, but you've been waiting all of your life for this moment right now. Uh, You came here just because maybe that's your normal rhythm or some friends invited you. Another night, another Wednesday, another chance to sing and learn. But all of a sudden, as you're sitting there, and as you look at the line drawn in the sand, as you think about the words, choose this day who you will serve, some of you are realizing right now that your entire existence is caught in the exhaustion in trying to live for God and live in the world. Depends on the day where your efforts are going to go. Depends on who you're around and what your interest is. Some days it's just feed from the faucet of my flesh, flirt with forsaking the Lord, indulge. And other days all of a sudden a, a seemingly a wake up moment. Which has created tonight a complete identity crisis in you. You have no idea who you are. But of all the nights to be here, right now some of you are beginning to come out of the fog. And you're seeing the line drawn for what it is. You're starting to understand that there is no gray area. You're either for him or against him. You are either serving God or serving something else. Notice in the text that Joshua does not say, oh, well, you're either serving God or you're not serving. No. He says, choose you this day who you are going to serve. You're serving something. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's the Lord. Maybe it's some other polytheistic idea of what God may be. Jesus, many, many years after Joshua, sharing the root of the same name as Joshua, drew the line in the sand as well. Here's what Jesus said. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Separated by hundreds of years, sharing the same name, drawing a similar line in the sand. And so I really only have very, very clear things to challenge every single one of us tonight. The first thing is this. Next slide tonight, choose. This day, right now. Well, Mark, it's not that easy. No, you don't understand just by being here, just by leaving here, just by existing in the thoughts that you are, you are choosing. Come out of the fog right now. Be awakened in your heart. Choose this day who you will serve. Look at the options. The options say this. Uh, You can serve yourself yourself. 
which is where many of you are at. And I'm just asking, how's that going for you? I don't mean that sarcastically. I'm asking that seriously. You know where you find yourself, often lost and hopeless. So is you as the God system, the kingdom built around you, is that, is that going anywhere? I'm asking. Uh, others of you, it'll be some other mystical new age thought. Uh, another God that uh, maybe you've heard about or, or become curious about. What I've learned about Christianity and my natural lean in just about everything in life is I go with the exception. The one thing that separates Christianity from everything else is it's built on love and grace and a God who is still alive. A king who walked out of his own tomb. And so as you begin to wrestle with the options, it's not now about counting the reward. I'm asking you to count the cost of following yourself, of following dead gods, of following gods that were created 200 years ago to mask some sort of insecurity versus submitting to the creator. Submitting to the one who made you. Submitting to the one who extends love and mercy to you, even though you deserve, quite honestly, like I do, an eternity in hell separated from him. And yet, he says here, you can follow me. Joshua talking about the character of God. You can come to him. The first thing I'm telling you to, to do tonight is choose. Make a decision. Do you want to submit and follow the Lord or do you want to submit and follow something else? For some of you tonight, right now, this is the moment, the crossroads moment in your entire life that forever you'll look back and say, the line was drawn in the sand and I was tired of living in the gray and I fell down before a good God and said, I want to serve you. But tonight, don't just choose. I'm challenging you as well to tell. Tell people, share. Bring people in. Let them know your testimony. Uh, share with them in all vulnerability. Here's where I was at coming into the, to tonight. And all of a sudden, God showed up and, and he grabbed me. and He gave me an inexpressible joy. And I walked in here burdened by the noose of my sin and I walked in here questioning who I was and I didn't know if I was living, living on this side or, or this side. But then the grace of God, but then the mercy of the Lord. Tell people. While others of you, the telling will be a sharing of the truth. Hey, I just wanted to be honest with you. I've realized that I'm not interested in following God. And I'm tired of the exhaustion of faking it. And so I'm just being vulnerable with you and sharing that tonight. Choose and tell. And so for every single one of us tonight, myself included, next slide. There it is. It couldn't be any clearer. Every single one of us tonight have a choice to make. In the public declaration of that choice. Tonight we have an opportunity 
to come to this table. The public declaration of our alignment with Christ and the public display of our heart to serve the Lord, he welcomes you to come to this table. Uh, for some of you tonight, this will be a run because you've, you've come here tonight so utterly exhausted and tired and you long to serve the Lord in sincerity and you've grown weary in disingenuous service. And so tonight, this meal, you're like, I cannot wait to get to the table and share again in the symbol of the grace of God. For others of you, this will be the first time you've ever come to the table. Come. Come. At this crossroads pinnacle of all that you are, call on his name. He's inviting you here. When you are ready tonight to make the choice of serving the Lord, let our participation in this meal together be your public declaration of your worship of one God. Come when you're ready.